your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. So oil prices have sunk to record lows. In fact, we have to go back to 2008 and the global financial crisis to find a comparable situation. Oil futures fell below the $36 per barrel mark on Friday. That was the largest weekly loss that we'd seen of the year so far. Despite surges in oil supply during its meeting on December 4th in Vienna, uh, the OPEC nations chose not to cap oil production due to ongoing competition for market share. So against that backdrop, let's bring in Professor Bill Arnold from the Jones Graduate School of Business at Rice University, who specializes in energy management. Good morning from Seoul. Good morning to you. And thank from you. From Houston. Yeah, great to have you with us. How far have prices slid and how much further could they go? Well, prices are down more than 40% in, in one year and about two-thirds in, in 18 months. How much uh, lower they might go or when they will recover is, uh, is worth a lot of discussion. Well, to get at this question of supply, can you offer us some major causes for that? One of the, the major causes, of course, has been the increased production in uh, North America between the Canadian uh, oil sands and the uh, so-called shale play in the United States, mm. which has brought U.S. production uh, above 9 million barrels for the first time in, in, uh, in a very, very long time. Yep. So the, the increase in production in, in the U.S., uh, along with, with Canada, uh, has really upset the, uh, the equilibrium that had existed previously. Yeah, it, At the same time, of course, we'll talk about uh, OPEC and its actions, which contribute to this. But it's interesting because it takes the power out of OPEC's hands. And, and I know that's a point that Russia has made as well this year, that, uh, that OPEC has less influence. Well, uh, OPEC has had a problem of, of discipline uh, within their member nations for, for some time. So it's one thing to reach an agreement in Vienna. It's another thing for the individual countries to uh, to honor those agreements, uh, especially when it involves cuts in, in production. So I think in, in this case, Saudi Arabia in particular took a, a look at the economics of this and concluded that they would ultimately bear a disproportionate uh, amount of the, the burden from this and have very little of the benefit. Mm. Uh, at the same time, a country like Iraq, uh, despite its civil uh, disorder, is producing at a 35-year high, 35-year record production. And uh, that's not even taking into consideration uh, some of the issues we touched on on the show last week that you may not be aware of, but we were talking about... Um, IS's uh, relatively limited impact on the oil market at the moment, uh, obviously with its own gains in Syria and Iraq. But um, can you tell us a bit more about the politics of OPEC and, and why it's so challenging to, to reach an agreement, why certain countries obviously want to uh, bolster prices to, uh, to ensure their livelihood but can't agree on cutting supply? is an organization with very, very diverse membership from uh, 
oil production powerhouses like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and so forth to uh, country, you know, much country, much smaller countries such as Ecuador. But within the uh, the membership of the the large producing countries, you have bitter rivals. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran are are very hostile to each other for issues that have nothing to do with oil. So reaching any kind of agreement has to get to a, a consensus on, on common grounds in, involving oil. And given the record of lack of discipline in OPEC, I think it's understandable uh, why Saudi didn't want to take a, a lead in, in production. The, the other aspect of this, of course, is that a number of these countries have very large social obligations that are funded uh, by oil revenues. And so you have the ironic situation that as oil prices have fallen, uh, a number of the countries have actually increased production mm -hmm. in order to get the cash flow to meet those social obligations. Bringing Russia back into this, uh, the finance ministry there has apparently been preparing a contingency plan based on its own forecast that crude prices will stay low for the next few years, for the foreseeable future, really. What are the implications of that warning, again, for those OPEC rivals? Well, I think uh, Russia's being prudent, and even the, the very large international oil companies uh, don't seem to be planning on the basis of, of much higher prices. Uh, that's uh, seen in the capital budgets, which were cut dramatically uh, this year and are being cut again for next year. So uh, I think it's a prudent thing to have a scenario with, with low prices and from a producer's point of view to uh, hope that there may be uh, upside. Uh, with that upside either coming from uh, a cut in production um, in principally in the United States, responding to market conditions, uh, some increased uh, demand, or a geopolitical event. But, yeah, it, it seemed to me, though, reading reports of this, that OPEC is gambling or, or banking on uh, a surge in demand. Where, I mean, where would that come from? I wouldn't expect a, a surge in demand. Demand tends to respond much more slowly. Uh, people don't drive a great deal more just because gasoline prices are half of what they, they might have been at a peak. Mm. Um, the demand for, for natural, uh, natural gas uh, will increase as we have increased conversion from coal to natural gas. Um, or the use of natural gas and, and petrochemicals, but those those projects take years, in some cases, uh, many years. So I don't see it so much on the demand side as I would on the production side. And as you were referring to earlier, it may not be coming from, from OPEC. It may simply be the marketplace uh, in North America responding to this, mm. because you have hundreds and hundreds of, of producers who have different debt profiles, different production levels, different costs and economics. And a number of these companies will not be able to continue at these prices. I mean, what, what does this say about uh, the energy industry as a whole? Is, is this really the, uh, the beginning of the end for, for some of these um, fossil fuels and, and, and a sign that we shouldn't be too sympathetic, but rather try to bring about a, a more rapid shift towards a, a sustainable future, especially after all those well, talks in the, Paris the recently. Irony, 
you know, the, the irony in this may be that because of these very low prices for both oil and, and in particular natural gas, that it actually makes it more difficult for uh, some of the renewables to compete. So yes. We've seen uh, tremendous uh, improvement in efficiency in solar, uh, reducing the cost of that. Um, but it becomes very difficult to compete in the United States, for example, with natural gas at sometimes even below $2 a million BTUs. Um, and when we talk about the oil industry, it's, it's a huge uh, industry with a very long uh, value chain to it from the exploration and production of oil to the uh, refining, the, tra- the transportation, and, and then ultimately into areas like petrochemicals. And so the, uh, the parts of the industry at the end of the chain and refining and in petrochemicals are actually doing very, very well. Refining margins are strong. New petrochemical uh, facilities are being constructed now. Yeah, so... Uh, really, we need those prices to go significantly higher to to bring about the the final uh, shift. But but the the sort of turmoil within this global industry. Uh, what's the long term future? Would you say? Well, I think the you know, renewables have certainly come along strongly in, in recent years, particularly uh, in North America and in solar and, and wind uh, especially, um, but they still constitute a very, very small part of the, the energy mix. So you could still have uh, a great deal of growth, particularly in, in solar, which is, is happening right now, um, but you're still reliant on, on the fossil fuels for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the mix is very different from country to country. Uh, in the United States, very rapidly, natural gas has been uh, taking the place of coal in the market, but that's much less true in, in the rest of the world, in China or in India. Well, Professor Arnold, thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with us. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking with you and, and your uh, listeners. Thanks. Likewise, Professor Bill Arnold from Rice University. And let's face it, I'm sure many of us will have been enjoying the uh, lower prices at the gas pumps, but let's also confront the reality that even when those prices are higher, for many of us it just means paying more. It doesn't necessarily affect those driving decisions. So what is it that's going to force us to uh, to emit less in the way of pollution, especially in light of uh, what has been discussed in Paris. We all have our own individual role to play in that as well. You can email your opinions, any questions you might have to EFM this morning at gmail.com. For now though, oil seems to be going nowhere and uh, the pie is just being sliced ever more thinly from the production side.